He would rather send his wife so there wouldn't be any association. After all, his false gods have been doing him really well, haven't they? I mean, the false god, I mean, why didn't he go to his false gods and ask for what's going to happen to the child? Why didn't he invoke his false gods? Well, the simple answer is in his heart of hearts, he knew that the prophet in Bethel, or excuse me, in Shiloh, was the real deal. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Jeroboam was a king, but even kings have trouble common to men. His sixth son troubled him and prompted him to seek the help of a prophet. This was a familiar pattern for Jeroboam. In his time of need, he turned to the true God and men of God. He knew that idols could not help him in any true crisis. Yet he also knew that he had rejected God and his prophets, and so he sent his wife and told her to wear a disguise. Jeroboam didn't tell his wife to pray for their son, nor to ask the prophet to pray. He wanted to use Ahijah the prophet as a fortune teller instead of seeking him as a man of God. Now here's Pastor Rob. All right. Good to see you all. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Kings. Going to look at chapter 14 tonight. Last week we looked at chapter 13. Uh, Just a very interesting time at the beginning of the divided kingdom. Remember, the kingdom was united under uh, King Saul, Israel's first king, and certainly under David. And then under Solomon, but after Solomon, the kingdom split, and um, God gave to Jeroboam, a servant of Solomon's, uh, the northern ten tribes, and he gave to Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the southern two tribes, known as Judah, but they really were Judah and Benjamin, and Rehoboam would be the king over those southern two tribes, and uh, we saw very quickly that uh, Jeroboam had really began to lead the people in idolatry. Remember, we looked at the fact that he created two worship centers in Israel. The first one in the southern part of, of uh, really his reign, uh, of the area of, of his jurisdiction, if you will. It wasn't in, south, in the south of, of Israel, it was really more in the south of his district, if you will. So Bethel was one of those idolatrous centers, and the other one was Dan up in the northern part, right on the border of uh, modern-day Lebanon and Syria, and then, um, uh, so he created these two centers and had golden calves, and they worshipped these false gods uh, on these altars, which obviously was forbidden uh, by God for them to do these things. Uh, Things that they had really learned in Egypt. You know, when the children of Israel were still in Egypt, they, they saw these things that the Egyptians did. And remember, when they first came out of Israel 
and there came a disturbance, and uh, Moses was up on the mountain, remember, up on Mount Horeb, receiving the law and the commandments, and he was up there for 40 days, and the people began to get restless, and so Aaron, uh, Moses' older brother, uh, told them to take off all their earrings and their jewelry, and he, he uh, threw it into the pot and, and basically you know, mixed it all together and uh, fashioned a golden calf, remember, and and that was one of the things that God nearly consumed them uh, at that moment, but he for, forbeared or forbore, I guess is the right verb, um, from doing so. But now we see many hundreds of years have gone by, and now we see the very same thing happening. And it's kind of a disturbing thing, isn't it, to think that you know, whenever there's idolatry, it has a root in the heart of man. And if that root is not cut off, if it is not extinguished and replaced with something, uh, with, with godliness and contentment and God's word, it will express itself again. And now we see that again in the life of the Israelites. And, um, and before you get too heavy on Israel and upon the Jewish people, uh, it is true that this happened to them. All of this is history. It's It's real. Uh, but understand that if God had chosen the Irish or the Italians, sorry, Pastor David, uh, any race, it could be, you know, um, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, um, that they would have done the same thing. The story might have appeared to be a little bit different, but ultimately it would come down to rebellion and sin, and then God has to deal with that sin. And so tonight, as we look at this, uh, we're going to see... Rehoboam uh, continuing uh, to express this kind of idolatry. And let's just read through the first 20 verses of this, and then we're going to go back and take a look at it. So it says, At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick, and Jeroboam said to his wife, Please arise and disguise yourself, that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah the prophet is there who told me that I would be king over this people. And also take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him, and he will tell you what will become of the child. And Jeroboam's wife did so. So she arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age." Now the Lord had said to Ahijah, Here is the wife of Jeroboam coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you will say to her, for it will be when she comes in that she will pretend to be another woman. And so it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. Go, tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people, Israel, and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all of his heart to only do what is right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you, for you have gone and made yourselves other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam, and I will cut off from Jeroboam every 
every male in Israel, bond and free. And I will take away the remembrance, or the remnant, excuse me, of the house of Jeroboam, as one takes away refuse until it is all gone. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. Arise, therefore, go to your own house, and when your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day. What? Even now. For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river Euphrates because they have made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned and who made Israel sin. And then Jeroboam's wife arose and she departed and came to Tirzah. And when she came to the threshold of the house, the child died, and they buried him. And all Israel mourned for him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his servant, Ahijah the prophet. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and how he reigned, indeed they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. And the period that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, and so he rested with his fathers. And then Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. And so a very interesting, very interesting passage, and unfortunately a very sad ordeal, especially for Jeroboam's wife. We don't really know her name, but she goes in um, Jeroboam's place, and she hears this great news. And I can't imagine, as uh, of two parents, the mother seems to have the, the maternal bond and love of a child even more so I think than a father and to have her hear this news and then have to go back and walk several miles to go back and tell her husband and knowing that as soon as she gets to the door that the child is going to die you know she (laughs) she probably would have been better off just leaving Jeroboam altogether and not coming back to the house I wonder what would have happened But nonetheless, she did go back. But let's go back into verse 1 here and take a look at it. Notice it says Abijah. So there's a lot of terms, a lot of names here that sound very similar, okay? There's Abijah with a B, and then there's Ahijah. And one thing you have to know about this name Ahijah is that Jeroboam had a son named Ahijah. And we're going to find out uh, next week and the week following that Rehoboam also had a son of the same name. So as you read, keep track of the different kingdoms and who these people are, and especially as we begin this, that there are two Ahijahs, one for Jeroboam, one for Rehoboam. But right now, this son, Abijah, is the one, he's a child, he's sick. And his name literally means Jehovah is my father. And I think that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because Jeroboam was the one who was resisting God, And yet he would name his child, Abijah, Jehovah is my father. But is that the truth? You know, as far as Jeroboam was concerned, no, it wasn't. 
You know, when you think of how easy it is for a man who claims to be representing a kingdom and even given the mandate by God to be the leader of a people, over ten tribes as Jeroboam was, and something weird happens in the heart and the mind of a person when they, when they feel like God has called them. They, they, there's no coasting. You can't just coast and act like everything is good between you and the Lord. You've you got to continue to press in in that relationship. It's like marriage. Any marriage that is just coasting is ultimately going to drift. And so you constantly got to be building and, and pursuing it. And you've got to continue to be uh, building upon it. And, 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 and Jeroboam wasn't doing that. And so it's really kind of hypocritical for him to call his son Jehovah is my father, when in fact Jehovah was not his father because he rejected Jehovah and instead worshipped false gods. But let's go on in verse 2 and notice it says, And Jeroboam said to his wife, Please arise and disguise yourself that they may not recognize you. And so here Jeroboam was so proud that he didn't want to go uh, and, and, and invoke the prophet Abijah, or Ahijah, I'm sorry. He didn't want to go. He didn't have the guts to go. So what does he do? What does any spineless leader do? They send their wives to do the work that they should be doing. He sends his wife. Proverbs tells us, and this is a verse we know very well, Proverbs 16, verse 18, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Jeroboam was filled with so much pride that he, would, he, couldn't, he wouldn't allow himself to be seen going to a prophet of God. He would rather send his wife so there wouldn't be any association. After all, his false gods have been doing him really well, haven't they? I mean, the false god. I mean, why didn't he go to his false gods and ask for what's going to happen to the child? Why didn't he invoke his false gods? Well, the simple answer is, in his heart of hearts, he knew that the prophet in Bethel, or excuse me, in Shiloh, was the real deal. That he was serving God. Jeroboam was not. Isn't that funny? You would think that if you really know the truth, wouldn't you just cash in your chips at that point and say, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm just going to be honest with the people. I've been playing a fool. I've been leading you all astray. Will you forgive me? And I bet, who knows what would have happened, but it would have been the right thing to do. And for him to give up his allegiances to all these foreign gods and give his heart to Christ. That's what he should have done. But he didn't do that. And his gods were impotent. They were without power. They couldn't see. They couldn't hear. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 25, it has this to say. Now God is speaking to the children of Israel before they go into the promised land. And notice what the Lord says. He says, when you beget children and grandchildren and have grown in the land, and you act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything, and you do, you do evil in the sight of the Lord, your God, the Lord your God, to provoke him to anger, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And here's the verse, and there, will, and there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands. Does that sound familiar? Wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. 
Isn't that the idol that Jeroboam had erected in these two different centers? An idol that could not see, couldn't smell, couldn't hear. It was baseless. It was nothing. And yet we see this very same thing happening that God had warned them of. And you know, God never, he he repeats himself over and over again. And you know, as you read the word of God, don't be put off by the repetition of certain themes and certain ideas. It's there for a reason. And the proof of it is because we just don't learn. (laughs) Repetition is the best way to learn. And in grade school, the kids learn how to sing by singing the the Pledge of Allegiance. You can put anything to a song and the kids will learn it. And they learn by repetition. God does the same thing. Because after all, we are children of God, after all, right? And I need that repetition. And may, I never, may my heart never grow cold to the repetition. Because I need to be reminded. Because any little moment I can slip. Is anybody aware that, of the feebleness of your own heart? Have you ever experienced that moment where you're like, wow, Lord, if you didn't have your hand on me, I could slip right now so easily. And the Lord's going, I know. And why do I keep saying these things? Why do I keep warning and encouraging? It's because I don't want you to go down that path. Because if you do, I have to bring the consequences. Because I can't deny who I am. God can't deny who he is. He can't just give you a get out of jail pass. This is not Monopoly. He can't just say, you know, you, you meant well and, you know, you messed up. No, he's not going to treat it lightly. He says, crucify that thing and confess it and be healed and be set free. And so these are gods of gold that cannot see. Remember, even in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 5, when Daniel was speaking to Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, who, had, who after Nebuchadnezzar had passed and his son had passed from the scene, now we have Belshazzar. In the um, in that room as a as a co-region, if you will, and 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 remember, there was the writing on the wall, and Belshazzar was there, and his knees were knocking together because he didn't see the arm, but he only saw the hand, basically writing in uh, in Farsi. <laughs> many many takele you farsen, you you've been found wanting, and you're lacking, and your days are numbered. Your your gig is up tonight. And what did he say? What did Daniel say to him? Daniel said to Belshazzar, he says, And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. And so we see the same, very same thing happening, happening here. But it's insanity when somebody knows the truth but willingly doesn't obey. And such was Jeroboam. That's why he, he, will, he knew the truth in his heart, but he's will, he, he was unwilling to obey. And so this proud man, this proud idolater, he can't go to the prophet himself. He sends his wife. What a betrayal of soul. That's hypocrisy. It's a betrayal of soul. And Jeroboam said to his wife, please arise and disguise yourself that, you, that, that they may not recognize you as my wife and go to Shiloh. Remember, Shiloh was originally the location of the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle. It had been there for many hundreds of years. 
going back from the very beginning of Joshua in Joshua 18. But notice, indeed, Ahijah the prophet is there who told me that I would be king over this people. And um, you might want to make a note off in your Bible at this point and just write in chapter 11, uh, of course, in this same book, 1 Kings, but chapter 11, verse 29 through 39, because that's when the prophet Ahijah had told Jeroboam, remember he met him out in the field and he parted his garment and tore it in, 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 in pieces and gave uh, ten pieces to Jeroboam, symbolically showing him that God was going to give him those ten tribes. Well, so he, he goes there, and I, and I imagine that this experience that Jeroboam had with the prophet was good news for Jeroboam. And so he's thinking to himself, well, my child is very sick And I know I can go back to the man. Perhaps I'll receive a favorable news. Maybe I'll receive favorable news, just like I did the first time. And he says says to his wife, Also take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him, and he will tell you what will become of the child. And I I thought about this, and, and not to read too much into this, but ten loaves. You know, and I thought to myself, perhaps he was giving a loaf for each of the ten tribes that he was king over, perhaps. And it may have been customary to bring a prophet or a seer, a gift like that. But I also think in here is a little bit of warming up to Ahijah, giving him these things. And it wasn't a great deal either. But God cannot be bribed. He cannot be bribed. He doesn't need money. He doesn't need anything. Oh, but people do. Remember, um, Eli- I think it was Elisha and his servant Gehazi. Remember that? Willing to receive a prophet when Elisha said, no, I don't, I don't want a prophet. He, I don't want a, a gift from you, from the king of, of Syria. But he goes back to his house and Gehazi follows the entourage and wants to receive something for this miracle that God had done by opening their eyes so that they could see the armies all around. But God cannot be bribed. And a faithful prophet will say whatever the Lord tells him to say, and he won't just say what he wants to say because there's a gift coming in the mail. There's a check coming in the mail. There's an honorarium given to him. He's got to speak the truth. If he's a true prophet, he will do that. But we know that there were a lot of false prophets. But this man was not one of them. So Jeroboam's wife did so, verse 4. She arose, she went to Shiloh, and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of age. So by this time, I'm sure he's probably got cataracts. And they didn't have the fancy surgery that many of you have had, where you can go and, and get it done and clear up all this, all this noise in your, in your lenses. So he was an older man, and this was happening to him, and he couldn't even see. This place called Shiloh, uh, again, is, is in the district of, the, of Israel, in the northern ten tribes, just um, about ten miles, or excuse me, Shiloh was north of Judah, and um, uh, And then in verse 5, excuse me, the Lord said to Ahijah, and so Ahijah's there in his home, (laughs) and the Lord speaks to him and says, "Uh, here's the wife of Jeroboam coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. And then the Lord begins to tell him what to, how to respond to her. 
And, and you, you can't, again, you can't bribe God, and you certainly can't pull the wool over his eyes. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.